All right. <laughs> awesome. Well, good morning. How is everybody? I missed you guys last week. You might be wondering why and where in the world was he? I, I actually have that story for, the, for you this morning. But I'll tell you what, I got to say something first about worship. I don't know about you, worship was so overwhelming for me this morning, especially that last song, It Is Well. Because I felt like it was a heart's cry from this church, declaring to the Lord. And I heard the Lord, I, I was talking with the Lord during that last song, and, and again, feeling His heart. And feeling overwhelmed. And he just said these words to me. He said, they're ready. My family is ready. I didn't say for what, so. But we know for what. Because when you're ready, you're sitting solely in his will. That's the power of that song, it is well. To sit solely in His will, no matter what. No matter what comes, no matter what's swirling around you, no matter what you're told to do or where to step, what to say, it is well. Simply for one reason. And that is Jesus Christ rules in your life. He is the director of your life. He is the one who directs your steps. Which is the only way it can be when He calls us to be His hands and His feet. We can't be His hands and feet and decide where we want to go. It doesn't work that way. My, my feet, if they decide where to go... You know, what happens if one decides one way and the other decides the other way? That's a problem. What if I want to go a certain direction and my feet go a different direction? Or my hands do a different thing? That's why if we are to be His hands and His feet, it can only be from His direction and what He's doing. So that's the cry of that song, It is well, is... I'm good with whatever. As long as I am smack dab in the middle of your will, God, then you will give me the grace to handle everything that I need to handle. So this, this last week was kind of a surprise. Um, and it was a surprise for me, too, which I'll explain. I was in Nigeria. Uh, in fact, waking up that morning, going before the Lord, talking to the Lord, from the moment He told me to the moment I was on a plane headed to Nigeria was less than six hours. Unplanned. With nobody knowing. There was only a, one person in this world that knew that I was leaving, and that was Alexis. Not even my girls. I told nobody. And there's a reason for that, which, which I'll get into in this story. But before I do, I want to pray and just uh, declare, this time is the Lord's. Father, we worship you, we praise you, 
We love you, Lord. And Father, it is well. It is well with us. Because we have given you our yes. And you are the one in the director's seat. Father, I know that there's a lot that you've given this morning. I just pray, Lord, that you put it together in my mind, that you direct the information in the flow that you desire it to be and derail it if you want it derailed. I give you my hands and my feet. I will not decide where they go outside of your direction. I give you my mouth. More importantly, I give you my will. Speak that which you will. Lord, even I want to sit here and hear what you have to say this morning. So I pray that you speak according to your will. That you lead us down the paths that you want us to go. I love you. We love you. We seek you and we are confident in your promise that when we seek you, we'll find you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. That's not the purpose of this morning. Um, but there, there was a demonic spirit that, I'll just say a trap was set for. I'll leave it at that. This trap was set for this spirit. Not, not a trap by me. I had no idea there was a trap. Not any of us. The trap was set by the Lord. Because it was time for this spirit to be gone. But there was a manifestation of this spirit. I will tell you it was, it's, it's a genre, if you want to call it that. It's, it's, um, it's authority was spirit of religion. Which, there are many spirits of religion. I mean, there, there are all under that same genre, you know, it's not like when, when uh, you know, one is cast that there is not another. There are many, many spirits under different genres, and this genre specifically, but however, there are different authorities. It tells us in Ephesians 6 that there are different levels of authority amongst the spirit realm certainly in God's realm, but even in Satan's realm. There, there are levels of authority that the demonic spirits have. Now, I, I don't know like what causes that authority. I have some ideas, and perhaps the Lord will bring some of that out this morning. But there are certainly levels. We know Satan is kind of above them all, right? I mean, he, he is the one who, who uh, deceived Eve, who literally brought on this this fall, this curse, and all who came were under him. It says that his tail swept a third of the stars. Okay, so clearly there was that authority, but even under him there is authority. And, and I'm not going to dwell too much on that. Um, 
However, this particular demonic spirit we had been dealing with for a couple of days in Nigeria. And I had been on the phone. Alexa had been on the phone. Um, We had been talking with them, you know, analyzing, if you will, just, uh, you know, praying, um, warring from this end and all of that. And nothing was really having an effect, which is always very confusing to me. When, when, when we come to a blockade of non-movement, of not being able to break through a wall, there's a reason for it. And, and that reason isn't always about authority. I mean, it can be about authority, but it could be about placement. It could be about... Uh, uh, location. It could be. It could be a bunch of different things that we have literally experienced in the past. All these things we've learned. It, it's not because, you know, uh, we we opened some training manual. I mean, in a way, we did, because that's what that's what the Word of God is. And Him being the trainer, He took us through all of these situations. So what 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 I'm speaking here, I am speaking from experience of these things. But this was one that, that we were not uh, having breakthrough with, and it, it, was, it was very frustrating. And the Lord told me something. He first told me this was a trap. And I'm thinking, okay, did the enemy set a trap? No, no the Lord said I set a trap to literally trap this spirit. Okay. So then I thought, okay, we, we need a group of us to come together to go before the Lord and to see what it is that he wants done. And something very unique happened. It's not happened with me before like this. Um, or quite like this, I should say. We went before the Lord, and, and, and in that sense, God was keeping a secrecy. To himself, because he was saying things to me that he was not saying to the group, and and I was a little confused as to why. But then when he told me, because I said, "Do I need to go there?" And to the group, he said, "Not yet, out loud." But immediately to me, he said, "Yes." That's a tough thing. You know, you want to try quantifying something in your mind and playing with the fact in your mind that, okay, is that God? Is that Satan? Is that me? You know, is that, you know, whatever? Indigestion from what I ate this morning? You know, I don't know. You start playing these things in your mind. And, and when that happens to me, I go before Lord and, and just me personally. And I'm like, Lord... You know my heart. I, give you, I have given you my yes. There is nothing that I will not do. Nothing. I've declared that. I've proven it. So, Father, what I ask from you is clarity. Because if I am being clear on what you're saying, I have little time. <laughs> and he was very clear. He said, look up tickets. And so I looked up the tickets. This is 11.45 in the morning. 
I looked up, the, or that, no, that's when we got, so this might have been a little after 12 by this time. I looked up the tickets, and the last flight out that night was 6.05 p.m. out of Dallas during rush hour. A two-and-a-half-hour drive, easy. So I thought, okay, all right, well, Lord, if you want me to do this, then you're going to have to work a few things out. Because they require a stupid COVID test. They require the results of that to come back so I can upload them before I get on the plane. Not only that, but I have to have the COVID test here. So then I can apply for a COVID test in Nigeria when I land. That I have to show proof of purchasing before I even board the plane. Not to mention the fact that Lord Michael has done all this for me. Like, I don't do this. I mean, I go and take a test, but he's the one that sets all that stuff up in Nigeria. You know, because the Lord told me, don't tell anyone, except for Alexis. And I'm thinking, Michael's always the one that sets up transportation from Abuja down to McCurdy and also from the airport to Abuja, you know, to the hotel. And, you know, okay, you got to help me with this. He said, don't worry about it. He said, right now, get your test. Go get that taken care of. Do you know I was at the airport already through sitting at the gate with an hour and 20 minutes to spare? Even going down during rush hour. I'm going down and I'm, I'm coming to the point down 301 where I turn right on 495. And it's like, you know, it's insane. This rush hour in D.C. And, and I thought, you know what, just, let me just pull up the GPS. I know this way. I go this way all the time. Let me just pull up the GPS. And I pull it up. And, and if I w- it said if I went through D.C., it would be about 15 minutes faster. And so I'm approaching, you know, literally coming down. i got about three minutes to decide this. And I'm thinking, no, no, I, 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 I would rather go the way I know because if something were to happen, I at least know that way, and I, I can, I don't know, drive over people, whatever. So, so I'm pulling down, and, and, and so I click, click off the phone. I'm trying to click to the other way to get an ETA of my arrival. And, and it automatically just jumped to the one going downtown. And I thought, no, that's not the one I want. Click over, I click over to the other one, it clicked back again. I said, this stupid phone. So I click out of the app, I go back in, and it pulls up the same one again. Three times. It did that. Three times. And finally, and this shows the sense of kind of how dull I can be sometimes. Finally, I'm like, Lord, do you want me to go through D.C.? Yes. I've been telling you that for five minutes. Go through D.C. So then I go straight. I go down through D.C. I, I mean, I'm familiar with D.C., but I was not familiar with this route. This thing's literally taking me these back roads right, right through downtown, past the Washington Monument, all this stuff. And, and uh, I got there, and it saved a lot more than 15 minutes. I'll tell you that. Again, I was there an hour and 20 minutes just sitting at the thing, relaxing. You know, so from 11.45 to being on the plane at 5.15 or 5.30 whenever they boarded us, God did all that. Now I'm on the plane and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, now, now the other part. How in the world do I get from Abuja Airport to the hotel? 
and then from there to McCurdy. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know who to call. You know, and, and kind of the last thing I want to do is just go up and, you know, because there's plenty of strangers there that say, hey, do you need a ride? Do you need a ride? And I'm thinking, well, I guess I could do that. I trust you, Lord. You know, of course, they tell you don't accept rides from anybody you don't know. And I'm thinking, Lord, you've got to do this. He said, call the, call the hotel. So I, 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 right before I took off, oh, no, sorry. I had already taken off when I landed in my, in my uh, uh, layover. I emailed the hotel, and I said, I don't know if you guys offer any kind of car service, but I need car service, and I'm landing tonight. You know, this was maybe, I don't know, six, seven in the morning, whatever it was. They didn't get back to me. And so, so then the, uh, the next flight, I thought, you know what? I need to go ahead and get Internet service on this flight <laughs> so, so I could keep trying. And I got Internet service, and they did get back to me, and they said, they said we don't offer it, but, but here's a contact. You know, you could try emailing them. I emailed them, and, and it's a six-and-a-half-hour flight, and I didn't hear anything for the first couple hours. And I'm, you know, kind of getting nervous about this. And, and then finally... Right before I land, I, I hear back and they, they say, okay, just send us your information. We'll be there. And I did. And they picked me up. And I got to tell you this. This was the best transportation I have ever had in Nigeria. I mean, it's insane. Seriously. It, it would have been a nice transportation company here in the States. That's how nice it was. So I thought, <laughs> all right. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to the hotel and I'm talking to the driver who happened to own the company. Uh, just four cars in the company. And I said, you don't happen to go to McCurdy, do you? He goes, McCurdy? He said, oh, that's dangerous down there. <laughs> I said, that's why I'm asking you. Do you, do you go down? He said, he said, you mean for you? I said, yes. He said, he said, for you, we will take you wherever you need to go. I said, okay. All right. Well, then we're set. I'll let you know. Meanwhile... The Lord, I thought, I wondered if the Lord had told Michael something about this. Although I hadn't talked to him and, and didn't know anything, but I found out when I was on that second flight that he called Alexis because he's just confused. He's getting these feelings like something's going on, but I, I've been kind of silent to him. Like he did text me at one point and he said, I really need to talk. And, and I responded back, and, you know, because remember, in my mind, this is supposed to be a secret. In my mind, I, and so I respond back, and I said, I said, man, I am tied up for the next few hours. I was on the second flight, okay? I'm tied up for the next few hours with back-to-back, so I, I can't talk right now, but I can talk in a few hours. <laughs> Didn't even dawn on me, because I had already been into this for so Didn't even dawn on me the six-hour difference. So Michael's reading this, and he's looking at it like, it's 7 a.m. there. You're in the middle of back-to-backs at 7 a.m.? Wait a second. That is not the Greg I know. So that was the first thing. Then Michael texts me, and he, he said, I, you know, can we talk? And, and so I, I text Alexis, and I said, Michael just texted me that he wants to talk. Do you have any thoughts? 
realized I had sent it to Michael. <laughs> Oops. So I text him real quick, and I, I try and cover that up and all this stuff. So he calls Alexis. And he's, in his mind, he's, like, he's thinking, okay, I, I, I have this feeling he's on his way. But he thinks maybe it was something he did, something that he's in trouble for. You know, and, and, and so he, he's talking to Alexis, and he, they're, they're kind of talking cryptically. And Alexis, of course, she knows what's going on, and she's being cryptic. And, and Michael just says, well, let, let me just ask this. Do I need to ask? And she said, no, you don't. Okay. And then he starts talking about other things to try and glean some information as to whether I would be coming in on the early flight, which arrives like at 4.30 in the morning, which he's thinking the next day, or the 4.30 flight again the next day. And basically, she just said, he started talking about having to go up to Abuja to do something with immigration, which is something we need to do. And he, he, said, he said, I've been trying to get a hold of Greg because he's usually the one that directs this stuff for me, which is a joke. Um, but he said, you know, I, I just need to go, need to know, would it, would it be a good idea for me to go to Abuja today? Or no, this would have been the next morning or whatever it was. And she said, yeah, I think that would be a really good idea. Of course, I hadn't talked to her. I have no idea. I think, you know, I'm driving down to McCurdy in, in this thing. So then, then Alex texts me or I can't remember how we talked or whatever. So when I landed... I talked with Michael because he doesn't realize I'm in Nigeria already. He thinks he's coming up to pick me up the following day, right? So, so I said, I said I could call you when, you know, uh, when I, when I can in in those few hours when my meetings are done, whatever. But I called him and I I, I said, you know, it's a good thing that you're coming. Uh, going to Abuja tomorrow morning, I said, that's, that's really good. I think, I think you should do those things. And in fact, when you go, once you're in the car, go ahead and text me because then I'll give you a call if I'm still awake. Well, I wasn't actually awake, but his text did wake me up in the morning at six in the morning. I call him and me, I could not talk to him until he was off our campus. Once he was off campus, I could talk freely. And so, so when he was about an hour off campus, I, I called him and, and I said, I said, yes. He said, you're, you're coming, aren't you? I said, no. I said, I'm here. I arrived last night. I said, you're coming up here to get me right now. And then we'll turn around and we'll go back down to McCurdy right away. And so he did. He came up and got me. We met, had lunch for maybe hour and a half so he didn't have to sit so long in the car on the way back, and then we went back down. Nobody knew that I was going, and it had to be that way because this spirit could not know. That's what the Lord had said to me, is this spirit could not know. Do not think, do not think that the spirit realm and the enemy knows everything about what's going on. It doesn't. In fact, in these days in which we find ourselves now, the enemy is more confused than it's ever been. Because remember, the mind frame of the enemy was thinking, this is their time. 
This is their time. They speak it through their own prophets. Right? This is their time. This is their great reset. It's their time. And just like God, let them think that and then slip the rug right out from under them. And that's what he's doing. So this, this spirit did not, could not know that I was coming. Now, I asked the Lord about this. I said, well, let me back up. The Lord told me two things when I, when I came into the campus. He said, immediately release warring angels around the entire campus. Not to protect it, but literally to hold in that which is not allowed to leave, this demonic spirit, that it could not leave. And, and, and he also had me pray a protection over a particular person's body so this spirit couldn't do anything to hurt them or cause them to hurt themselves. And I did those two things. Then the first thing I did after, you know, people seeing me with their eyes so wide and their jaw dropping to the ground like, what are you doing here? You know, uh, we went before the Lord. The Lord had been talking to me about this spirit. And I wanted confirmations of what that was. So we went before the Lord and I asked the Lord just confirmations of what this was and what I was to do. I knew from what he had told me. But, you know, this is, this is a lot of effort to not be sure, to not have confirmation. So we went, went before the Lord. And, and what the Lord had told me, and he confirmed in, in this time, was this was a particular spirit. Now, all demonic spirits, just so you know, and we're going to talk about, all demonic spirits are Nephilim-based. They are human-based. Do you understand what I, what I mean when I say that? If not, give it a few minutes. We'll talk about it. All demonic spirits are Nephilim-based. You have two different types of enemy spirits. You have demonic spirits, which are all Nephilim-based. There's a human, human element, or there was a human element to them, which gives them an, an authority that is not the same as principalities. Okay? It's a little different. Then you have principalities. Okay, this is what, Gen- or this is what Ephesians 6 talks about in the different levels of the demonic world, that there are different authorities, right? This particular one was a Nephilim spirit the Lord had told me that was old. You have Nephilim spirits that can be from today. This Nephilim spirit had an authority because it was around and gained its authority in its earthly life at the Tower of Babel. And so, so, again, all this was confirmed when we went before the Lord. I asked those questions, not saying it out loud or anything else. And not, the answers came back exactly what the Lord had told me. And so I asked, so Lord, is, is there, for this spirit, I knew that it was a, a spirit of, a religious spirit. I said, I, I, I'm not really understanding why it required me to be here. Um, I said, is this, is this spirit a high spirit in this region? Remembering the, the earth is broken down into seven regions. Okay, This happens to be the region of the continent of Africa. I said, is, is it particularly high in that type of spirit? 
in Africa, and the Lord said the highest. He said he is the king. He is the highest of those spirits in that continent. I said, okay, now it's starting to make a little bit more sense. And I said, I said, so Father, why do I need to be here for this? And he said, when it involves taking ground, you have to be on ground. Now, in this case, it happened to be that I needed to be on ground. That isn't to say that I have to be on ground for everything. That was just part of my calling. Each and every one of you have that same calling. Each and every one of you have that same authority to take land from the enemy. Because believe it or not, this is all about land. It's all about authority. It was all about the creation that God built to be friends with. That's what Adam and Eve were supposed to be. Friends with God. And Satan knew that ahead of time. And he became jealous. Right? His pride didn't allow someone else to effectively take his place. So, the Lord told me in this one, just to finish up this story, that it would be dealt with in the court of nations. We did that. It was dealt with. It was gone. I will say one other thing that that was extraordinary. It blows me away every time I see it. When When the Lord told me to release three angels over this person that was manifesting this spirit, he said specifically to say that I bind their hands and I bind their feet. This, this spirit. Now I'm thinking, okay, you know, bind its hands, bind its feet, you know, wrap a, you know, something around its mouth, whatever. But, but I said bind its hand and, and bind its feet. When it came in and I saw it for the first time, I don't think it knew I was there. Or if it did, yeah, I, I don't think it knew I, I was there. When it came in, it looked at me froze and fell down. And and so we were going to go to court with this spirit. So I said, bring this person over to the couch. And I'm thinking, you know, get up and walk over here. And, you know, you can walk and, and all this. Sh-. They couldn't. They couldn't walk. In fact, as they were being dragged, their hands were like this. As they were being dragged, their feet were like this. And it it just dawned on me the precision of God's will. The precision of His declaration. When we follow through with what He wants, there is a precision to what He does. And it was dealt with. Then I was there a couple days, flew back. Now, by the way, no, I'll I'll get into that later. Oh, man, there is so much here. Like the Lord told me this morning, he said, he said, I want you to explain. (laughs) He said, tell him a bedtime story. Like a bedtime story. He said, tell them where this authority came from. Tell them how this all came about to find us where we are today. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I mean, that's huge. 
that's, that's a semester's Bible class. Right? Eschatology 801. And there's no such thing as an 801. That's why I said that. Lord, how do I do this? So, so I just started writing down off the top of my head bullet points that we could go over. And, and we'll just see. I'm going to get as far as I can today. If we can finish, awesome. If we can't, awesome. Lord will do what He wants to do. But I want, you, I want to begin at the very beginning. I want you to turn to Genesis. Now, we're going to go in a second to Genesis 6, but I want you to recall what the creation was, right? God created everything. On the fourth day, He created the animals and, and, and all of that and, and, and the light. And he, He's creating all the things around us, all the things to sustain life. And then the very last thing He created was two people, well, one person and then one out of them that would become His image barriers. Those who would carry His image. Okay? It isn't that we are created and made in the image of God. It is that we, if you look at the tense there in the Hebrew, it is that we are supposed to be. But we have a choice. So we are His image bearers. We are His light bearers, or supposed to be on this earth. So He creates Adam. And then from that, there was no, no uh, confidant for Him, no, no companion for Him, so He creates Eve. He has Adam and He has Eve, and they're in the garden, and they have this relationship that they're building. And, and what God intended for that, those walks, it said in the cool of the day, man, alive, how do you give that up? Mmm. We long for that. We long for that. And so we know the story. Deception came in. Eve was deceived. She ate. Immediately when it was presented to Adam, he had a choice. He had a choice to eat and commit known sin and give up his wife whom he was one flesh with, whom he loved. Or literally take a bite and just lay himself at the altar of God and, and pray for his mercy. I don't know. I'm, I'm not in the mind of Adam. I can only imagine. All I know is the Bible said he was not deceived. Adam made a choice. I don't think that choice was because he hated God. I wanted to choose against God. I think his choice was because he loved Eve. And he didn't want to lose her. He literally gave his life for her. That's why Jesus, Adam was a foreshadowing literally of what Jesus would do on the cross 4,000 years later. Or almost 4,000 years later. So then that, that brought on the curse, that brought on the fall. Literally, Adam gave away the authority of this world. Remember, I said it was about land, right? Well, Adam was declared the owner and steward of the earth. He had that title. He had that deed. 
And so in that, He gave it away to one who wanted that rule. He gave it to Satan. Satan grabbed that authority because in that choice of sin, Adam chose the enemy over God. So it became Satan's domain. That's why, by the way, just, just to, as a little side note that's interesting, when you get into Revelation 4 and, and it goes where there is a, a seven-sealed scroll, it says a seven-sealed scroll written on the front and the back. Well, in, in, um, in Hebrew back then and Jewish customs back then, there was only one type of scroll that was written on the front and the back. And that was a title deed. It was a land ownership scroll. So what, what was being taken by the enemy back in Genesis chapter 3 was the title deed of the earth. And he has held it ever since. Jesus Christ paid for it, but to date has not taken it back yet. I mean, I think that's pretty evident. Right? If he had taken it back, he would rule with a rod of iron, as he said he will in the thousand-year reign. So, so then now, they're kicked out of the garden. Go, be fruitful and multiply. Now, it's an interesting thought, because God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen. You know, be fruitful and multiply, because Satan's going to try to take your authority. He's going to try to take what is intended to be yours as human beings, what you were created for. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 6. And we, we've, all, we've all read this. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. When men began to multiply on the face of... The, and now, by the way, to give you kind of an idea. Okay, from the creation of the world until this time that we're talking about in Genesis 6, is about 1,650 years. Okay, this isn't a short time. This is a long time. 1,650 years. That's three quarters of the time it's been since Jesus Christ. And we see what the world has done in change over the last 1,500 years, right? Well, you can imagine what it was like back then. So it says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. The sons of God, I don't care what people may tell you that it's, no, that's the Seth line and this and that. That is incorrect. They don't, you have to deceive yourself to even believe that. That's not even in the Hebrew. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. In other words, the, 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 Uh, the fallen angels, that third that fell, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. By the way, when when this was said, that, that can be taken a couple of ways. One, we know that it was about 120 years later is when the flood came. So, so that's God telling Noah, look, you got about 120 years to build this boat. Something he had never done before. And something that I would imagine, if we were told to do today, would be a really difficult task, even with all that we have. 
So you have 120 years. It also could foreshadow the fact that man's lifespan was about to change. We know prior to the flood, they would live hundreds and hundreds of years. After the flood, it diminished very quickly to where they were, you know, 120 years. And then it's even gotten less than that with our technology and all of our good fake food. Verse 4, the Nephilim were in the earth on those days and also afterward. When the sons of man came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, even, even in the ESV, which, which is the closest, it, it doesn't really express what, what this is talking about. And we're not going to get into the specifics of it because it do, doesn't matter. But, but the truth is they were giants in those days. They were giants. And we see that, and the key phrase I want you to get here, because remember, this is prior to the flood. This is literally what brought on the flood. Did, did the sin of man bring on the flood? The curse of, of Genesis 3 bring on the flood? No. If, if it did, then God was about 1,650 years too late. No, it wasn't that. It was, it was a very specific sin. And you could dive into this on your own and see that, but it it was literally the culmination of spirit and flesh. Okay, that's what were produced in what they call the Nephilim. The Nephilim is a hybrid, for lack of a better term. It is spirit and human flesh but it is not redeemable because it is not along the lines of Adam. It is not given that same inheritance that man was given. In fact, it says back in Genesis 3 that my seed will crush your seed. Talking to Satan. He's, he's literally talking to Lucifer saying, and, and I don't even know if it was a thought in Lucifer's mind at that point. But, but literally telling him, you will have a seed, and my seed will crush it. You will bruise its heel, but it will crush your head. That, that was the indicator that Satan would try to infiltrate the humankind. Why? Because he knows that he is damned. Do you understand that? He knows what God has said is his future because of his sin literally literally Hades the abyss was created for him and for those angels the third that he swept from the stars it was created for them because of what they did they know what their future is except and this is my own conjecture i think in satan's mind he thinks that if he can infiltrate humankind to take over their inheritance, then he can live. Kind of sounds twisted enough to be him, doesn't it? But the truth is, that's what happened. That's what happened in in Genesis 6 and building up to the flood. That was what caused the flood in the first place. It said, verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. That's a tough word. Thank God for verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we won't get into this, but there was favor for one reason. Was it because Noah was perfect? No, there was none. Was it because he was hungry for the Lord and building relationship with the Lord? Perhaps. But what it says later on is it says Noah was found, the Lord found favor in his eyes because he was found perfect in his generations. In other words, he was not of a tainted bloodline. He was of a perfect bloodline that the Messiah could come through. And he was him and his family. Now, I want to read something to you. And, and I don't know, you guys here may not haggle about it, but some online might. Just don't bother sending, sending me an email. Um, I want to refer and read you something out of the book of Enoch. Enoch is a book, it's an apocryphal book, but I'm going to lay claim on the fact that it was quoted in the Gospels by Jesus and by Peter. Now, I will also say that every I've, I've studied the book of Enoch. I've read through it probably 30, 40 times. Everything in there you can find in the Word of God. Okay, hands down. So I, I just lay that out. You could do with this information what you will, but it, it presents a picture, a little more detailed than Genesis 6 does. And there's a reason I want to read it, because it starts to give shape to this battlefield. And it's the battlefield that we're in today. Enoch chapter 6, starting at verse 1, says this. And it came to pass when the children of men, and this, this is prior to the flood, this is the time frame we're talking about. And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And Semjaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear you will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And they were in all 200 who descended. Now this is the part I want you to get. (coughs) They were 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. 
And they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. Understand what's going on here. This is, I don't know when, but it was shortly after Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden. And it was prior, obviously, to the flood. It was sometime in those 1,650 years that they came down. They saw, right, they saw the beauty of the women, but that, that's not what it was, guys. I think that Satan wanted them to do it, saying, literally, this is our only hope. To infuse ourselves into God's creation to the one that has the inheritance. So that we can claim the inheritance and not die. So that's what happened. They came down. They made a pact. They came down, descended upon a particular mountain. That mountain happens to be the highest mountain in Israel. It happens to be called Mount Hermon, which it was named because of this pact. Something began there prior to the flood that we see even today in the works. It was a battle station. It became a battle station. All throughout Scripture, it talks about Mount Hermon, even though it's called two other things. But maybe you're familiar with the mountain of Bashan, or the bulls of Bashan, or the valley of Bashan. That word Bashan. This was the first place that Baal was worshipped. Who is Satan himself, by the way? Baal is the Old Testament name for Satan. That's why in the New Testament they refer to him as Beelzebul or Beelzebub. Right? So all this is going on in this one mountain. Now, you have to understand the thought process back then. See, today, that wouldn't make sense to us. You know, mountain, that's not the highest peak. You wanted the highest peak? Well... You know, we've been to Mars, so it better be something further out than that. Certainly not to... I mean, we we got people that climb the highest peaks. There's no gods up there. A mountain to us is not what a mountain was to them. A mountain to that society, to that human society, a mountain was where the gods lived. Now, maybe it was because that's literally where these fallen angels came down and set up camp. And by the way, the sin was not just them sleeping with the women and having, having this, this hybrid. The sin was what they taught the people. They were teaching them war. They were teaching them incantations. They were teaching them witchcraft. They were teaching them worship of other gods. Literally pulling them from what God had. So this is all going on. And then we know what happened. God said, I'm done with it. I regret I ever made them. And he sent the flood. He put Noah and seven other people in an ark along with the animals. And he said, I'm going to kill them all. And that's what he did. Don't think there wasn't collateral damage in the flood. Don't think that Noah and his 
seven family members were the only ones that were not tainted by that bloodline or, or free from that bloodline. If that was the case, there would be no need for, for Noah to preach for 120 years about this coming flood, which he did, and he wasn't listened to. Nobody listened to him until it started to rain and, and it was already shut up. For him to preach and God wanting him to preach, there had to be people there that did not believe. That did not believe and literally gave their life because they couldn't believe the fantastic thought of God ending it all. That's not, that's not God's character. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love. He would never do that. Doesn't that sound familiar with what we hear today? Now, praise God, he won't ever do that in that way. <laughs> he said he wouldn't. He said he won't, won't send a flood. I don't know, there are probably worse ways. <laughs> but, so, so then the flood came, cleansed everything. God, the, you want to talk about a great reset, that is a great reset. God literally reset everything and we start again. Instead of starting with two, he's starting with eight. So maybe they'll multiply faster, perhaps. Okay, then we go, and I want you to keep this timeline in your mind. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 9. I'm sorry, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. This is only about 150 years later. That's pretty extraordinary. Okay, how in the world, how in the world can you have this massive population out of eight people in 150 years? Well, think about it. I mean, think back 150 years ago in this nation. How many people we had in this nation? You know, I don't know, but a whole lot less than we have now. Right? As they continue... To multiply, it multiplies faster and faster. It's exponential. Okay, but then there's something else you have to add in there. Remember what we read in Genesis 6, that Nephilim were born in those days and after. Satan didn't stop his plan because it's the only plan he's got. He knows he was literally the one that was to give the prophecy of man. He knows the prophecy. He knows that mankind was called to replace that team around God. Man was called for relationship because the angels never were. They were called to be servants, it says in Hebrews. But man was called for relationship. Satan knew that they were being replaced. So after that, I don't know at what point, but at some point he started to put it in there again. Maybe when he could start to deceive, I don't know. But 150 years later, that was it. 150 years after God wiping everything out. What happens? They're all unified against God. I mean, recognize that. Chapter 11. And we'll begin at verse 4. 
Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. In other words, they don't want to be the imagers of God. They don't want to bear His name. They want a name for themselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they purpose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, which I love that, let us. Who do you think the us is? That's Trinity. Yeah, there you go. There's a little glimpse into that. Let us go down there and confuse their language so that they might not may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. If you read this story and think that, yeah, they went a few hundred miles here and there, you're, you're not seeing the scope of what's going on here. Literally, they were sent over the spans of the entire earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because the Lord there confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the entire earth. Babel, and I know Alex prefers me to call it Babel. Babel, Babel, whatever. I, I, I don't even know which one's right. It's just Babel sounds cool to me. So forgive me. But think about what's going on. 150 years. After the Lord said, I will wipe out my creation of man, save these eight. And we're going to start again. 150 years later, they have turned from God. They have turned from God. They are worshiping Baal. They are worshiping those that are not God. They are building a tower. To say we will build this for our own name. Now don't think for a second that that is not an infiltration from the demonic because who wants to be raised up on a mountain higher than God? It's not man. It is Satan. It is his demonic horde. They were the ones pushing through this. The, the, the Nephilim that were born in that day. And I, I, I gotta tell you, I don't know what is different from then and now, because Nephilim are even born now. I know that's going to be real controversial, but there are bloodlines on this earth. And, and, and by the way, it's, I know everybody talks about the 13 bloodlines or whatever. It's not, that, it's not that precise. Guys, they are infiltrated everywhere. But recognize that Their base came from a different authority. There's one key that happened at the tower that made that authority profound. And that was that word that they were all together. They were unified. They were unified in their desire to literally replace God. In the height of worship, to replace Him, they were unified. And not just man, not just the fallen angels, 
not just the Nephilim that were born unto them and perhaps leading them, but all of them together. They were unified in that desire. That's why God said, if we let this be, there's nothing they can't do. Now, that alone you need to spend some time with. Man, would the church just get this? Okay, think about it. They're building, best we can figure, the tower ended up being about 300 feet high. Okay, do you think that that was, like, threatening to God? I I, I mean, I'm sorry, but the Mount Everest is like, what, 29,000 feet or 27,000 feet? You know, and 300 feet just doesn't quite do it. What was offensive to God? What was threatening to God? It wasn't the fact that it was 300 feet high. It was the fact that they were working together in unity. They had a single desire and a single purpose. Oh, if the church would just get that. If the church would get that, we would recognize that the real power in that unity is to be encircled with God. Unified in Him. Man, if the bride would get that. And they are, by the way. I I don't just say if. They are getting it. But that's what Satan's afraid of because he knew back then it caused God to do two things which were profound. He separated them over all the earth. That first and foremost was, was profound. But the second thing that was profound is he gave the nations what they wanted. He gave the people what they wanted. You want to serve Baal? Okay. You want to serve other gods? Okay. Here, I'm going to give them to you. Just as he told Israel when Israel said, we want a king. We want a king like other kings or other nations. And God said, you, you know what a king does, right? A king lords over you. A king takes from you. A king loves himself and takes care of himself first. Sure you want a king? That's what he was giving the nations. He said, okay, you worship these false gods, they're yours. I want you to turn, so we'll see that in Scripture. Turn to Deuteronomy 32. And each one of these, by the way, and I, I am trying to hurry, but I, I really want to get through this. Each one of these places we go to, you could spend weeks in. And I suggest it. Because God wants you to know the landscape of this battlefield. He doesn't want your eyes on what you're dealing with in your own life and just be focused on that. That is a red herring, by the way. That is a squirrel running off to the side like, oh, squirrel. You know, I'm dealing with these things. There we go. Now we're focused on these things instead of focused on the battlefield. Instead of being focused on the land that God wants us to take that will not allow squirrels to live. (laughs) I mean, that's the truth of it. So this is an incredibly important study. I really encourage all of you, study this at home. Go before the Lord. Dig it out. Just absorb it. 
understand your authority. Understand the power of unity in that authority. Because Satan trembles because of it. He does. I have seen it. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, it says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion to His people, Jacob, He allotted heritage. What Moses was saying here, he was giving reference to the Tower of Babel. That in that moment, because they rejected God, he said, fine, I will give you your inheritance. Each of you nations, here's your God, you can have them. They were dispersed over those seven zones. Each one of those seven zones was according to the sons of God. That were there. They were placed in authority over that. And we're not going to get into that right now. I've, I've preached on that before. But there was a particular principality over each one of those zones. I could tell you two of them that you'd be familiar with. The zone over Africa was Ashtoreth. The, the zone over the United States. And not just the United States, but it's, it's all the continental Americas. Is Abaddon. Zabaddon. So they were dispersed and they were placed under the control, if you will, of these demonic principalities. And they worshipped them. So that's how the world became 150 years after the Great Reset. God said, I promised I wouldn't wipe you out again. But you know what? You don't have me. You want them? They are your inheritance. And then 200 years later, after the Tower of Babel, Abraham was born. And God began to fashion through Abraham His own people, His own nation that He could claim as His own. That's, that's what we just read. But again, to give you a marker, that was about 200 years after the Tower of Babel. And that was again in Deuteronomy 38. I mean 32, sorry. So then, let's fast forward here. Remember this in the scope of a battlefield. Of a great battle. Right? This great battle of Mount Hermon and what it represents... To once God called out His own people, there's another mountain that emerged. And that was Mount Zion. Okay, we, we've all heard of that. You could call it the battle of two mountains. But the battle of those two mountains, what's wild to me is, I mean, they're real close to each other. It's not far from where Jerusalem is to Mount Hermon. It's not far at all. And in the spirit, it's just so different. So then you had generations, and, and we won't go into all that, but you had, you had good kings, you had bad kings. You, you, know, you had Israel split up then into ten tribes go one way and, and two tribes go the other. And, and you know, one would, would be more faithful to God, the others would not. And then every now and then you get a good king, you get a bad king, whatever. 
And when I say good and bad, I mean those who would worship the Lord versus those who would worship other idols, other gods. So this worked all the way up until a prophecy came true. And that is that I will send my seed to crush your seed. That seed was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not, he was born of a woman. He was not of the seed of man. You understand? You with me on that? He was of the seed of the Spirit. Of the seed of the Holy Spirit. He came and He lived this perfect sinless life. And we know the story. He gave that life as a payment. But Satan didn't know that at the time. He didn't know that. If he had known what was going to be accomplished through Jesus Christ's death, he never would have killed him. He would start pumping him full of, you know, vitamins and everything else. We're going to make you live as long as you can. He had no idea. That's why he spent his time trying to kill him. But Jesus, in his own ministry, within those three years, three and a half years, he proclaimed what this war was all about. It happened twice. He referred to it many times. But there were two events that I want to point out that are critical events. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Recognize what's going on. Jesus is standing there hanging out with His disciples. He's just standing there talking. And He's just like, you know, I'm curious. Who do people say I am? You know, and they answer, okay, but you've been with me a while. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a declaration. That was a ground-taking moment. It was a declaration by, by Peter, whether he even knew it or not. It's what came out of his mouth. And so, what was Jesus' response? And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, by the way, this is where Catholics believe that Peter was the first pope. Sadly, they don't even understand the passage. First of all, it makes no sense because I think they also say the Pope is infallible, right? And yet we know later on Peter really screwed up and Paul had to call him out. And, and I'm pretty sure we could list every Pope and the atrocity. Do you know more Christians? More Christians. Listen to this. The Pope's supposed to be a Christian. More Christians have died 
and been put to death at the hands of the Catholic Church through a pope than any other leader in history. I, I, I mean, that's pretty, pretty amazing to think about that. So anyways, you can, you, I, I know when I used to teach this, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, he was playing on words with Peter. Peter is, is the word Petra. It means rock. And, and you know, I'm going build to build my church, you know, as, as you're going to be a builder because B, Peter was the first one after the falling of the Holy Spirit to speak. And it was insane. 3,000 people were saved and all this. So, I mean, you can, you can, you could take that argument or you could say, well, well, the rock is really the cornerstone. The rock is really Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of the foundation, which Paul talked about, which is the gospel, right? You could say that too. Both are true, by the way. Neither one is what Jesus was talking about. You can't understand what Jesus was talking about unless you understand the battlefield and you understand where they were standing. It said they went to Caesarea Philippi, right? And then just moments after that, they went up this mountain. They were literally standing at the, ba- at the base of Mount Hermon. That's where he was when he says, who do people say that I am? They're standing at the base of, of what is the enemy's Place, the enemy's stronghold, the literal gates of hell. He's standing there. And Peter declares, without Jesus telling him anything, Peter declares who he is. And he said, yes, yes. And the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against you. Guess what, guys? Gates are not an offensive weapon. Gates don't come after you. We don't take the gates and let's go run these people down. No, gates are a defensive weapon. What Jesus was saying is, I am about to unleash a war that this mountain will not be able to stop. That you will infiltrate past the gates. You will come in and you will destroy this mountain. That's what Jesus is declaring there. And then just a little bit later, he goes up the mountain with just a few of his disciples. Let's go just a couple of ages over to 17. Chapter 17. Verses 1 through 3. It says this, After six days Jesus took with him Peter and James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain. The highest mountain in that whole area by far, by the way, is Mount Hermon. There's not one even close. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. We don't know in that passage what Jesus did there, but we do from other passages. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Because think about it this way. I mean, talk about boldness. Talk about no fear. Jesus goes to the very camp where it all started. Where it all started. Their base camp. Their stronghold. 
he goes to that very camp and God transfigures him. He meets with Moses and Elijah. By the way, I won't get into this here, but study that. There's so much more of that than you think. Because it wasn't that, that Moses and Elijah were brought from Abraham's bosom to be with him. It was a meeting outside of time. And there are two points. There's a point in Elijah's life and a point in Moses' life where you can pinpoint that in the Word of God where it associated with this time. Again, I'm, that, that's a side point. I don't want to derail. But, but Jesus is taken out of time here. He's transfigured in a way. They're seeing the process of this. But if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, and this is talking about what happened during Jesus' death. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? And he descended, and who, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fulfill all things. Now, something that a lot of versions don't have, and it's, it's, it's a key point to understand here. This isn't talking about Jesus descending into the bowels of the earth. Descending into hell. Okay, that, that's, that's a different subject. You can research that separately. That's not what this passage is talking about. He is not talking about the captives being set free who are literally in Abraham's bosom. Okay, which, which did happen. I'm not saying it didn't happen. It did happen. That's not what this is talking about. Because he is actually referring to Psalm 68. Jesus, or I, I mean Paul here, is referring back to Psalm 68. And, and by, by the way, before I go there, where it says in verse uh, 9, descended into the lower regions, the ESV is probably the most accurate in this. If you see there's a comma there, the lower regions, comma, the earth. He descended from heaven, guys. He chose to become a man. He chose to be inserted into his own creation to literally be the Messiah, to be their Savior, right? So let's, let's go look at, at Psalm 68, which is what was being referred to here and the captives that he's talking about. Psalm 68, let's begin at verse 18 which is what he quoted. He said, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell here. Okay, immediately in reading that, you should get, okay, wait, something's wrong here. Because in Ephesians 4, he said that he would give gifts. But here in, in verse 18 of Psalm, the, the prophecy is that he would receive gifts among men. There, there's a discrepancy there. 
And we begin to understand that if we understand who the captives are. If the captives are those who who were in, you know, uh, Abraham's bosom, you know, prior to Jesus Christ being resurrected, they could not be resurrected. He was the first of the resurrection. If if that's who it was, and and that's who was being referred to, then then those verses don't fit. But if you go down to verse 22, it explains it a little bit. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood. Wow. Wow. Who are the captives that he is referring to? The captives he's referring to are those who have paid and taken from his creation for so long. Those demonic spirits, those Nephilim spirits, those fallen principalities who have set up this war, who have literally taken root in the mountain at at Mount Hermon, have built their base, have taken over the world because the nations were given to them. Jesus said, who am I bringing back? Who am I exposing? Who am I going to make available? I will bring them back from Bashan. Bashan, by the way, is a reference to Mount Hermon. Bashan is that entire area. Mount Hermon technically has seven peaks. So it's a big space. And then there's a highest peak on, on Mount Hermon. But all of that is Bashan. You, you see it in the Old Testament. Bashan was the household of Baal. The, the bulls of Bashan were those, those principalities and those Nephilim spirits that had authority and were strong. What he's saying here is I'm bringing them back so that you can walk in their blood. So that you can defeat them. I'm forcing them to this war so that you can defeat them. That is the prophecy. That is what was being talked about in Psalm 68, that there is coming a time where the enemy, Mount Hermon, will be vulnerable. I speak to you today because it is vulnerable now. That's what happened when I went. That Nephilim spirit that had authority is now in the abyss. We have the authority and the right, and not even just the right, the obligation to go after them. Because we're part of a different mountain. We're part of God's base. God's mountain. If we are to be His hands and feet... And man alive, you can't be afraid of the battle. You have to be strategic. You have to give God your, your yes in letting Him use you in that battle. Jesus literally leveled the battlefield by His ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's what was prophesied in Psalm 68. 
That's what happened in his ascension. He said, he said, I will go when I go. The Father will send the Comforter. The Holy Spirit is the partner in which we can do all these things. Imagine when the church is unified and going after that mountain. I am convinced. I am absolutely convinced that as land is taken and there's retreat happening, it's all going to come back to this mountain. That Mount Hermon. I am absolutely convinced. Do you know there was a... If you go there, there's all kinds of stuff there and whatever, but there, was, there used to be a cave. Well, there's still a cave. That cave is to be known as literally the gates of hell. That's what they call it there. It's a cave that goes deep into the mountain and, and you know, I don't know, whatever. The interesting thing is there used to be a stream that flowed from that cave. From the belly of this mountain. A stream that flowed out from this cave. Isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly what Jesus said will come out of Mount Zion. That a stream will flow from Mount Zion. That will feed the nations. So Satan, being the copycat that he is, he pushes this stream out. Well, it doesn't flow anymore. And in fact, I am convinced that that's where the battle ends. I want to read two last things to you. Actually, go one more place. Psalm 82. Sorry, I am almost done. I just, I really feel the Lord wants me to finish this today. Psalm 82 is the Lord's declaration, the Father's declaration in His court of counsel. Now recognize Satan used to be part of His counsel. Don't ask me why God had a counsel. I don't know. I don't know why. It, 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 you know, I'm, it, I'm sure it's not for advice. You know, may, maybe it's maybe it's because he wants to bounce things off. Maybe he wa- I don't know. I don't have an answer why he had a council. I do know that what was prophesied at the very beginning, what Satan rebelled against, was that man would take over in that council, because God didn't just want servants. God wants relationship. And with man, he could have it. So in this council, you have probably good and... We know there's bad in there. I mean, just read 1 Kings 22 and then what I'm about to read here. But recognize in this council are the ones that he had given the nations to. Those seven, including Satan himself. Those were given the nations. In Psalm 82, God said, It's done. You've failed. Let's read it. Now, I I won't read the whole thing. Up top it talks about how, okay, you were supposed to do this. You didn't. You were supposed to help them. You didn't. You know, even though he knew they were bad, even though he knew the demonic spirits or or the fallen principalities were evil and were against him, he still held them to account. They still had to do what he expected. And if they didn't, they pay a price. And that's what he said in the first few verses, that you have done none of that. You have not stewarded what I gave you. 
I gave you this human element and you've done nothing but take. You've done nothing but destroy. So here's what I'm going to do. And this is God sitting in his council. You know, talk about a tough board of directors meeting. Verse 6. I say you are God's. Son of the Most High, all of you. Now, by the way, that should confuse you if you don't believe in the divinity, if you will, in the authority of the principalities, in the authority of Satan, in the authority of his host. Because if you look at the Hebrew here, it says, It literally says, I said, you are Elohim, son of the most high Elohim. He didn't say that you are humans or he didn't say that you are, you know, subpar of this. They were created with authority. They weren't created fallen. They fell by choice. But it did not take away their power. It didn't take away their authority because they were still expected to steward it. But he said, I said, you are God's son of the most high. All of you, nevertheless, because of what you have done, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Right there, he spoke judgment on them, a prophetic judgment of what's coming. And then it just ends by saying, arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all. Not another, not a few, not you get ten, or maybe we'll split it up and you get half. All. He will inherit all of the nations. He said, go, do it. So what Jesus Christ literally did, He paid a price for us to see this battlefield. He paid a price for us to understand the heaviness of our walk. The heaviness of our yes to Him. To move in such a way that literally we can walk in their blood. Literally. That's a heavy statement, guys. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that, really? Because we are there. We are there. This is the time where He will inherit all the nations. His idea was to do it through His Son, through faith. I mean, man, please understand, Jesus could have come at any time and just... Nope. I take it over. In Jesus' name. (laughs) He could have done that. But that's not what His desire was. His desire, God's desire at the beginning was relationship. Was mutual adoration was love was communication so his desire all the time was to do that through israel his chosen nation but they rejected him they rejected him which god knew that would happen but through that rejection it opened up the chance for all to be children of god if they give their yes if they accept Jesus Christ into their heart. And that began the plan of inheriting all the nations. That's what Jesus paid for. We are literally standing on the precipice of it. 
and it is going to systematically be taken, that land. I, I want to read two last things, and I promise you I'm done. Three minutes. There was, I read this a couple of weeks ago. I, I read this a couple of weeks ago, but the Lord wants me to read it again. And this is, it was at the end of a court of nations, maybe, a, I don't know, a couple of months ago. But it was after the gavel came down. It was one of those, you know, hot mic moments, if you will. It wasn't said in the court, but it was, God, it was God speaking to Satan. And we wrote it down. He said, those ones, and I bring this up because this Nephilim spirit that was just destroyed is what this is referring to. And not just, just this one, because there, there are others. But those ones that you dazzled at the tower will turn from you as if they had never worshipped you. Okay, let me say something here. When, when we were in the Court of Nations with him, when it was his turn to speak, he had no defense. I mean, you know, what could you say to God? That's not true. Of course it's true. He had no defense. He literally turned to Satan and he said, aren't you going to defend me? Satan turned and walked toward the door. He couldn't leave because it was sealed, but he stood at the door ready to leave and left this Nephilim spirit hanging, effectively. That's what this is talking about. The ones that you dazzled at the tower will turn from you as if they had never worshipped you. And your faithful few ones I will kill. You will have no living sons. Neither your sons nor daughters will live. And all that you have built as an inheritance for those sons will be given to the ones you have hunted. To the ones you have killed, I will give life. And the ones you have raised, I will put down. There is no resurrection for them. I will bring your kingdom to ruin and your people to depravity. Once you had a seat at the table, that council that I was talking about, now you will have no name or place in heaven or earth. As long as I have forgotten their sins, I have forgotten you. Until I remember their sins, I will never remember you. Nor will I, nor will all the people of the earth. And then last, on November 13th, 2020, we were in the Court of Nations and a verdict came down. And I want to just read a portion of this because this refers to that mountain and why I believe it's all going to come down to Satan being backed into a corner. The Father said, I will not deny the faithful. I will not deny the righteous. Watch as the wicked are driven from the nations and gathered on one shore. Mount Hermon is not, it's, it's fairly close to the Mediterranean shore. It's, it's, I mean, all of Israel is, basically. The nations and gathered on one shore where I will destroy them all at once. There will be justice. There will be righteousness. And there will be an acknowledgement and a bowing of the knee to the verdict of this court. God will be worshipped. It is our job 
to work in tandem with God, in relationship with Him, to be on that battlefield, to take land. And, and you don't have to think, what land am I supposed to take? You just have to say yes. And, and God will show you. I know this happened to John a few months back. John all of a sudden gets sent on this business trip to Ohio. He's like, why in the world? And then as he's driving, God tells him about a place. And he says, I want you to go there. I want you to claim it. Call out the enemy because I've given you authority and take the land. And he did. God will put you where he needs you to be. Trust him in that. The yes might be a split-second decision. You might find yourself halfway around the world, you know, on the way there in six hours. But the yes is what destroys the enemy. That's the battlefield. This is really... This is the battle that God will bring to an end. And the enemy will be brought to nothing. They'll be, they'll be sent to the abyss. By the way, they have to be. They have to be in order for Revelation 9, verse 11 to even happen, where all the demonic come from the abyss. If they're not in the abyss, they have to be in the abyss first. So does Abaddon, by the way, who isn't in the abyss yet, but his time is coming. Lord didn't let me do it because there's a reason, but his time's coming. It's supposed to be that way for all of them. They'll be let out later when, when, when it is Satan's time, which I just think it's a joke because I think Satan thought that he would have, you know, so much time. And I, I just really don't think he'll have much time at all because they will be let out. But we'll be gone. We'll be in heaven. This will be after the rapture. But the land has to be taken now. Trust God in that. Go after it in that. Come on up. I know this was a lot today and we went long, but boy, I just feel the Lord wanting me to just declare that you will be able to understand what this is about. You will be able to grasp it, even if it seemed like a lot, because the enemy camp counts on the fact that Christians won't understand demons and won't understand their authority. And the crazy part is we encounter the demonic constantly with everybody that we deal with. Why do you think what we are seeing around us is, is happening? It is the demonic rise, these outbursts, these violent crime, all these things happening. And to understand our authority, to understand what the blood of Jesus paid for, how to take authority over it, it is all connected. We can't possibly understand our armor in Ephesians 6 if we don't understand. And yes, this was big picture. This was the purposes of God from the beginning and why Satan fell and all this, all in, in one big, long sermon. But it's so critical to connect it. Don't be one of those Christians that just says, well, I mean, that's important for some people, but I'm just going to sit and just trust that God is, you know, whatever. if you're going to really trust God, then trust him. He'll help you understand this. He will help you rise and take your authority and, and reach out for any kind of help that you need. Um, because there's, um, God will never leave you hanging. He'll always equip you to deal with what he needs you to deal with. So I just want to pray for everybody as we close. Father, we thank you, God. 
We praise you for your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you for speaking so clearly to, to us and every heart that is open. God, you have given revelation today. And I just pray that you would drive it so deep down into our hearts that we would know and understand what your word says about what you have given us in authority because of Jesus, not because of us. But I thank you, God. I thank you that you have shown, you've, you've given in your word so clearly how we can walk in victory and what that even means. Thank you, God, for what you are about to do to set right what the enemy has done for, for so long. And we say so long because we've been in the confines of, of the time dimension. But God, I just praise you for this glorious plan that you have to get vengeance against the enemy and all of the evil that has been perpetrated on the earth. Um, and God, we, we just cannot wait. We thank you. I thank you, God. And, and I, I pray for the understanding of everyone to be in agreement with this statement. But I thank you that we are alive and living at such a time as this to see the power and the glory that you possess, God, to be just demonstrated on the earth. God, we see all creation groaning. We see it in all different ways through weather, animals, all these different things that are just, they're, they're longing to see the reveal of the sons of God, people that will truly, truly rise and honor and worship you, God. Because as Greg just closed with, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you, Lord Jesus, are Lord. So I praise you for that. And I just pray for wisdom, revelation, and understanding by you, Holy Spirit, in each of our hearts and minds, that we will take this and walk in even greater victory and boldness because of what was released today. I just ask this in Jesus' name over everyone here and everyone listening online. Amen.